So uh, I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with uh, Bill Esteb. Um, he is the founder of Patient Media. Um, we use some of his products in my office, uh, and he's been, uh, he's a chiropractic patient who turned like chiropractic warrior, and um, instead of becoming a chiropractor, he's just been uh, like a chiropractic advocate for like 30 years uh, now. He started around the same time I did back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, and he created all these amazing brochures and newsletters and training stuff. Well, anyway, in ICPA seminar uh, a couple of months ago, our big extravaganza in March, he was one of the featured speakers. Uh, and he knocked it out of the park with what he calls, um, he calls it disruptive chiropractic. Um, and I thought it was one of the best talks I'd heard on chiropractic in a long time, especially from a non-chiropractor. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as my brain works, and he's saying all his stuff, you know, it's an hour and a half talk, um, I turned to Lisa and I said, what about disruptive pediatrics? Right, because what else would I think of is pediatrics. So when he was done talking, uh, I wrote my list, because what he did is he wrote, uh, he gave us a list of like some of the basic things that he sees uh, someone should do to create like a disruptive chiropractic office, which I kind of agree with most of it. Um, he, he is not as, as kid-centric as, as, as I am, so I decided to create my own chiro-centric uh, thought process on this called disruptive pediatrics, and I'm going to share it with you guys because I think it, 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 really, it really fits um, with what our, our topic is going to be for today. So the first thing is, kids are kids, not little adults. That's, that's topic number one. Kids are kids, not little adults. And why is that important? It's important because most chiropractors think and act like the way you take care of a kid is the way you take care of an adult minus some force, right? They don't realize <clears throat> that adjusting a child is a very different thing. Just like Gonstead is different than Thompson, well, I think chiropractic pediatrics is different than anything else, uh, as, at least in my opinion. And um, so as an example, we had a new patient yesterday morning, and that was the one thing that she was wondering is like, is the adjustment of my daughter going to look like the adjustment that she's already experienced with, you know, adult, um, with chiropractors for adults? And I said, no, it's very different. You know, the whole point is a very different concept. We, we approach the ch child in a very different way than we approach the adult. Um, you know, both are very specific, but it's just two, two completely different, you know, kinds of thought processes. Um, and I think that's really important because uh, of all the things that Webster used to really harp on, uh, that would be the thing that would make him go, you know, and really get upset is when people would say, oh, adjusting kids is, like, there shouldn't be anything pediatrics. It's just like the same, we've been adjusting kids for generations. You know, D.D. Palmer adjusted kids. Yeah, he, that's true. He certainly did. But... Nobody knew anything about what a child's spine is and how it responds and all that kind of stuff back in the 1800s. So we're talking a very different approach uh, right now. And I think if BJ, well, if BJ were alive uh, today, he would probably be saying, uh, and DD for that matter, he would probably be saying the same uh, basic kind of thing. So that's the first thing. Second is uh, we focus on the whole child, not the symptoms, which I guess you can apply for adults too. Uh, but especially for the kids, you know, a lot of people are, are symptom chasers. But the problem with symptom chasing, whether you're chasing back pain or you're working on a kid with autism or you're working on a child with ear infections, you don't chase the symptom. 
right? You chase the subluxation. You try to aim for the subluxation. You try to aim for the neurological basis of why this kid is where he or she is at right now. And I think that's um, a, you know, a really important concept because it, it's, we're very centered on trying to fix subluxations, right? That is my main goal. When someone asks me what it is that I do, I fix subluxations. Uh, number three is patient-centered adjusting, not technique-driven. So what does that mean? That means if, like yesterday, a little child does not want to lie face down at the table, I don't care. They don't want to lie down face down at the table. They want to get adjusted seated, fine. They want to get adjusted playing in the play area, fine. You want to get adjusted when mommy's holding you and you're bouncing in mommy's arms, I don't care how you're going to get adjusted. You know, we had a child, uh, for instance, who um, was thought, we, I was the one who kind of figured it out, that he has pandas. Pandas is the, the strep-based uh, psychological issues. Um, so a child will get strep, they will get over the strep, and then they'll have start having these crazy psychological issues that look a lot like autism, OCD, uh, this kind of stuff. And it's actually becoming more and more common. It's called pandas. Um, and, uh, and, and this kid was the most rambunctious, uh, you know, athletic kind of kid. And all of a sudden, after strep infection, he developed pandas. Pandas, which is spelled like the bear. Um, uh, but it's like pediatric autoimmune neurologic disturbance because of strep or something like that. Um, so uh, for a while, he would just lie down and get adjusted. Now all of a sudden, he, don't, he, he wants mommy to hold him. And if you were just a typical chiropractor, you're like, like, kid, you've been doing this for like three years. Get your face in the hole, right? But I was like, whatever you want. You want mommy to hold you? Fine. You want to sit on mommy's lap? Fine. I don't care, right? Because we have techniques. The techniques I've showed you all quarter long with sustained contact and you know, activate all these different kinds of things. You can modify anything with these kids. So I think it's very important to understand. It's very patient-centered. Whatever the patient wants and wherever the patient, wherever the kid wants is where we're going to adjust that child. Um, number four is less is more. You know, we have a tendency in chiropractic to want to adjust every single thing that we find. And uh, Webster would always say no. No, especially in the beginning. N-O, capitals. Because in the beginning, if a child is very sympathetically driven, there is no reason to adjust T6, T4, T12, right? Forget the sympathetics for a little while. I know that we find that. I know, you know, that a typical teaching style is like you fix what you find, right? But that's not exactly the way you want to do it, especially with a sympathetically driven kid who's got some kind of a label, you know, OCD, ADHD, autism, SPD, whatever the label happens to be. We, I'd rather do less in the beginning and kind of figure out along the way as we add more things to see what happens versus playing the piano, as they used to call it, and then finding out that we overdid it, right? Uh, and then what do you do, right? Once you over-adjusted, you can't under-adjust, right? It's hard to backtrack. It's better for you to start slow and ramp yourself up than to start high and, and back off uh, later on. So I think that's very important is less is more. Uh, number five, which I think is super important, which is people want what we do. And we got to get out of our heads that they don't, right? They're, they're, you know why the, most people's offices aren't crowded? Because people don't know what we do. But once they know what we do, they want it, right? And that's whose fault is that? It's our fault. We have to teach people what it is. So it, if that means we have to teach each individual patient who comes into our offices what we do and why what we do is so special and so unique, then that's what we teach them, right? Don't teach them what everybody else has taught them. Don't teach them all this other 
crap that's been thrown about for years and years and years. There's a lot of old stuff out there, we're gonna talk about this in a moment, that just should not be taught anymore. We have to teach people based on what you know, the new stuff is. Uh, parents want their kids to be happy, healthy, and vibrant. They really want that, right? They're sick and tired of their kids being sick and tired. And they're looking for, they're looking for, for uh, us. And we are no longer the last resort, right? We, chiropractic used to be the last resort. And I heard Tony Ebel a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about we are not the last resort you know, anymore. We're like the second to last resort. So we've made it up the pole a little bit, right? We're, we're not the, we're not the, you know what the last resort is now in a lot of cases? It, well, medicine and surgery is the last resort. They don't want that. People are coming to saying like, I don't want, to, yesterday, when, mom, I don't want my kid to have surgery. Let's see, we can do something else, right? Even adults are coming in. Another new patient yesterday, I don't want to have surgery, an adult patient. I'm trying this first to avoid surgery. Right? So that's now the last resort, which is good. Right? We, the mindset has changed enough that, that, that we've changed what the last resort is. Um, chiropractic, next one, chiropractic is primary care for many families. Right? A, a lot of families who come into to, to my practice, um, they're coming to us first when a problem occurs with their kid, and they're saying, you tell us what's wrong, and if you say we need to go to somewhere else, then we will. Right? I like that. I like being their primary care doctor. I, not that I like necessarily the responsibility, you know, but I, I am honored and flattered that they come in and they say, you know, I was playing basketball and the basketball smashed into my hand and should I go to get this looked at or is this fine? And we can, we can assess it. And they, they say, we trust you. We trust you and we trust, you know, what you guys uh, think about this kind of stuff and how you guys think about it instead of just running off to urgent care or running off to the ER and spending thousands of dollars and having them say, oh, it's fine. Right? They'd rather come in and get the kid adjusted and then also get whatever it is checked to see what's going on. And I feel I'm very honored and flattered to be a part of that. Here's the, the thing I was mentioning before about some of the old stuff. Do not talk about hard bone on soft nerve. That is antiquated, old-fashioned. It worked in the 1960s. It worked in the 1990s when I first graduated because nobody knew about anything any different back then. That is old stuff. Right? It served us well. It was really good when it, when it was you know, the prevailing thought of the day. It doesn't work anymore. Right? We are brain doctors. We are nurse system doctors. Make sure your patients understand that. I've been driving that home all quarter. I drove that home when the pediatric diagnosis. I drive it home in my ICPA lectures. I'll be talking about 150 times this weekend in Portland. That's just what we are. Right? We need to drill that home to people because they can go anywhere. They can go to a PT and get hard bone off surf soft nerve and mush on a muscle. Right, right. So if that's what they want, then go to a PT, go to an OT, and that's what they do best. Right. What we do best is we work on the brain and the nerve system, and I think that's vitally important that people get that. Um, uh, also, just kind of like we talked about before, focus on the gentle adjusting specific to a child, not just hit the high spots. I think that's extremely valuable. You know, to understand that that um, it. As an old concept, it, the old concept was you kind of feel the spine, and if it, it's high over here, push down. High over here, push down. Well, that's not really scientific chiropractic, right? Everything we talk about in lab especially is all about neurologically challenging and testing and seeing if that is really, in fact, a subluxation. I think that's important for people to understand. Um, we, we're now focusing more and more on assessment tools and objective measures. Um, I think... You know, whether you use a subluxation station like some people use, or you use x-ray, or you use a myovision, or 
whatever other you know, kind of things that are out there, I think it's important that people have objective measures, whatever it is. They want to see numerical data. They want to see, is that improving? You know, even if we love using simple things like balance scales and saying, look, look how the balance is better. Look how the eyes you know, are better. Look how the primitive reflexes are better. I like using objective things and measuring this you know, at a certain frequency, whether it's eight or 10 or 12 or whatever amount of visits you use to say, this is where it was then, this is where we are now, right? And uh, I am in the process of developing new scales to use, with, especially with special needs kids, to determine um, how that kid was when they first started and where they are now. I think those are, are very valuable things that we need to, to use more and more. Um, you know, even though I don't like the Westry and the, you know, all those kind of pain you know, scales, I get why they're being used. People really like those kind of things. Um, so we need more of those things for children. <clears throat> Um, train to make sure you have multiple techniques based upon what the patient needs, right? So even though it's, it's great that some of you guys have a fabulous foundation in one uh, particular um, technique or something, I'm going to be very insistent um, to suggest to you that when you graduate, don't hang your hat on one thing, right? Because it was, and the reason I tell you that is my mistake, and I've told you that before. Not that Gonstead was bad or wrong. Gonstead was an amazing foundation for me, but I would do nothing but Gonstead. I would do nothing, hear nothing, listen to nothing, adjust nothing else unless it was Gonstead because that's how, you know, I was thinking. And I love Gonstead and I think it's probably the reason why I'm such a good manual adjuster right now is because of my foundation with that. But it's so important with kids to have the, you know, this, in, in my opinion, there's three different kinds of techniques, right? You have the manual techniques like Gonstead, Thompson, full spine, etc. You have the instrument-based techniques, you know, activator, TRT, those kind of things. And you have the tonal techniques like network and best. And you need to have at least one of each of those because you never know what you're going to need with any given patient. Um, make sure that you understand and teach the patient that all healing takes time. They need to understand that, that healing is a pattern um, and uh, that, that it's, it has to, especially with special needs kids, um, it takes a lot of time to undo the pattern, even in a little baby, right? We have some little kids that are having crazy nursing problems or crazy colicky kind of issues. It takes time. You're like, well, how can it take time? The kid's only two weeks old. Yeah, but the subluxation hasn't been there for just two weeks, right? It is possible. We talked about this a few weeks ago in class. I think it's possible to get subluxated in the womb. I think it's possible to be born with subluxations that have been festering for a while, right? But they just didn't, the, the manifestation of that subluxation doesn't come out until they're born because everything's being taken care of when they're in the womb. Right? So you're getting all your oxygen, you're getting all your food supply. But now when you're out and your body has to do the work instead of you just kind of hanging out and growing, it's a whole different story. So I think that's very important to, for people to understand. The subluxation didn't just happen the moment they were born or that kind of thing, even though birth trauma certainly is a big one. Um, the subluxation could have happened already. There could have been a neurological setup for these kind of issues that need to be taken care of. And that's what takes the time. You know, we, we have to change the pattern from wherever they are to wherever they they should be. Um, to me, some of the most important things that we need to study, and I mentioned them all this quarter, uh, whether here or some of the other classes, is neuroplasticity, polyvagal theory, and neurodiversity. Right? These things are all critical things to understand. If you're not studying, if you're not, you know, when you graduate, uh, like someone asked me this morning in my other, my tenth quarter class, she said, like, how do you, like, what do you do to find all this this other stuff out about chiropractic or other things? that you're always talking about. And I say, I, every day I study, I read at least an hour or more a day, every single day for 30 years, 
right? And I don't just read in the chiropractic literature. I'm reading in neuro neurology literature. I read in the pediatric literature. I read in you know, occupational therapy literature, speech therapy. I'm always reading, always learning. And I think it's super important. And so we need to, as future pediatric chiropractors, really understand neuroplasticity, the polyvagal theory, and neurodiversity, and study those things, like if, because those things are all going to be big uh, game changers later on. One of the most important things that we do in our practice, we make it a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the more fun you have in your practice, the better it is. So I suggest you... Uh, you know, even though I am getting older, but I'm not growing older. Yeah, yeah understand? So I, I might be chronologically getting older, but I'm, I'm actually still pretty much like a teenager, maybe even younger uh, in my brain, because I want to have fun. I just want to have fun. So when the kids are, when I'm around the kids, then I just have a blast. And even with adults, it's just all about having fun. And I think that's what attracts people to offices um, more than anything else is, is are they connected with that person? Does that person make them feel good. Um, I think that's an important thing to have fun. Um, it's important for you to explain to your patients that kids love coming to our offices. You know, the hardest thing about my office is not getting a kid in my office. The hardest thing is doing what? Getting them to leave my office, right? The leaving my office is when kids have tantrums. They don't have tantrums coming in. They all want to come to my office. Uh, it's all getting out of the office that is really hard. Uh, and patients need to understand that, right? So first phone calls, whether I'm talking to them or, or my staff is talking to them, that's one of the things that we bring out is that, you know, because a lot of times parents will say on the phone, well, you know, my kid won't sit still. My kid won't let you touch them. My kid is like really just, a, you know, kind of a spoiled, rotten little kid, whatever. I'm like, you know what? You don't have to, nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about in my office. They're going to have fun. We have toys everywhere. We have all kinds of people to play with these kids. It is the funnest office so that there's never going to be a problem with your kid, you know, coming in here. Um, you know, you, you might want to think of a bribe to get them out of the office, uh, but the problem won't, you know, won't, don't bribe them getting into the office. I think that's important. And this isn't on this, but it's something that I think is important too, is unless the child is a very challenged child, <coughs> of which we have several our kids on the spectrum who are very challenged, try not to use um, a phone or an iPad to distract them, right, during an adjustment. Sometimes you have to, and for some kids, this is the only thing that's going to get them to sit still, and that's totally fine. But try to, do, try to use objects instead to distract them, uh, some toys or, or games or rattles or whatever, because the more you use an object like a phone, the more you use the wrong part of the brain during the adjustment. So we don't want to do that. Um, you want to talk things like uh, innate and power on and subluxation and BJ Palmer. You want people to know this kind of stuff. I have several pictures of BJ and DD Palmer on my uh, wall because I want them to understand history. I want them to understand what's going on. I love explaining the first chiropractic adjustment to people so that they get, um, you know, where, you know, what's, what we're talking about. I think it's important for us to use the word subluxation. A lot of people out there trying to say we shouldn't use the word subluxation, but that's where we came from, right? Why should we, and they, what, what should we change it to, you know? What, was a non-allopathic lesion, like that's, that's, that's a real great word to hang our hat on, right? I, I, or what other, segmental dysfunction? Like, who the hell cares about that? And they say, well, subluxation is a hard word to pronounce. Well, segmental dysfunction isn't exactly an easy one, right? That's a tongue twister, too. So just stick with the word that we've used for a hundred and something years, right? And when people, and, you're, and trust me, when you graduate, you don't, you're not going to hear it here. When you graduate and you're out in the, the, and you're at the, the Wisconsin 
Chiropractic Association, where they're trying to get the Medical College of Wisconsin, trying to get drugs in the profession. You're going to hear all kinds of people saying, duh, you know, about subluxation. That's an antiquated word. It should be a historical document. Well, that's nice. You can use that in your crazy papers. Um, uh, one of the most important things I think that we need to give our kids, and a huge thing that's missing in a lot of our practices, is homework, right? Kids are used to homework. They get it. They do it every day. It's not foreign to them. We have to give them homework also. But our homework is neurological exercises, right? That's what we give our kids is neurological exercises. And just like if you have your back pain patients, you give them you know, certain stretches and core things, whatever, you've got to give the kids um, some sort of, of exercises as well and track it so that and give them rewards for, you know, for doing the exercises. Um, I think that's um, a vital uh, a step in getting kids really involved in their care. So it's not just I adjust you and you go home and you come back a couple of days later and I adjust you again. I adjust you, you go home. What do you do in your home to augment what we're doing here, to make it better, to make it stay, right? That's what the exercises are all about. <clears throat> um, kids are what they eat and what they play on. Um, I think that's a very important thing uh, to think about, that uh, kids are constantly eating a lot of junk and if we can get kids to get away from junk, we've had some special needs kids um, who've gone gluten-free and dairy-free, and we've watched, aside from the adjustments, the, the combination of adjustments, exercises, and the chiropractic uh, care, uh, and you take away gluten and dairy, and these kids just change, right? These kids just change. These kids who, there's one mom, I saw her yesterday, I don't have to have her write a testimonial. She said, I didn't think my son was going to make it through this particular grade he was in. Uh, he was just failing out, and he got all A's and B's at the end of the year. So I'm convinced that you know, doing all this stuff is what's working. And that's what it's about, right? But he did the homework. He changed what he ate. He changed what he's playing you know, with. He, with. I told the mom, you got to restrict how much he, go he goes on those phones and stuff. I know it's part of life, but you, he just can't be on it hours and hours a day, especially like in the summertime or on weekends. You just don't spend all day, 6, 8, 10, 12 hours on one of these you know, phones. They have to move things with, they have to move things. They have to play with things you know, or do sports or music or something. Um, and it's another thing, kids uh, are how they move, you know. How they move means everything, uh, which means, what we and we talked about this before, watching the kids when they're little, watching how they crawl, watching how they, uh, you know, roll, watching how they learn how to walk. That makes a difference because those things then will make a bigger difference later on. So, um, so those are my uh, 19 points. <laughs> for disruptive uh, pediatrics. Um, if you have any um, ideas on what you think I should add or take away from this, I would love to know uh, because uh, I want to develop this into something bigger. Uh, but I think this is, um, you know, as interesting as Bill Esteb's uh, lecture was, um, I felt like the, it, it didn't touch me the way like these things, you know, touch me because this is very personal because this is the stuff I deal with, you know, every single day. So I want to, to share that um, with, with you guys.